Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, May 25th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. The UN says the world is failing to protect civilians in global conflicts. Ron DeSantis is reportedly set to announce a 2024 run via Twitter. A new report finds 50 million people are trapped in modern slavery. South Carolina approves a six-week abortion ban. Donald Trump's criminal trial is set for March 2024. OpenAI calls for more regulation. The UK's inflation rate drops, but concerns remain. An Illinois probe reveals Catholic church abuse. Greenpeace says recycled plastics may actually be toxic. And rock icon Tina Turner passes away. In our first story today, the UN reports that the world is failing civilians caught in conflicts. Here are the facts as agreed upon by France 24, the Associated Press, the Washington Post, and the Independent. On Tuesday, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned the Security Council that the world is failing to live up to its commitments to protect civilians, as the UN recorded a 53% increase in civilian deaths last year compared to 2021, with nearly 17,000 civilian casualties recorded across 12 conflicts. In his address to the Security Council, Guterres urged the council members, citing civilian casualties in Ukraine and Sudan, schools destroyed in Ethiopia, and damage to water infrastructure in Syria, to fulfill their commitments documented in international humanitarian legal systems. The UN chief insisted the council states should help warring sides engage in political dialogue and train forces on protecting civilians adding weapon-exporting countries should refuse to do business with any party that fails to comply with international humanitarian law. Meanwhile, Mirjanis Bolyarek, president of the International Committee of the Red Cross, called on the world to protect civilians and critical infrastructure in urban areas, provide food to all civilians in conflict zones, and allow humanitarian personnel to reach populations affected by these crises. In addition, Swiss President Alain Berset stated that the number of people facing acute food insecurity jumped to 258 million last year, i.e. 30 times the population of New York City. He added that over two-thirds in the category live in conflict zones, including Congo, Sudan, the Sahel, Somalia, Myanmar, and Afghanistan. In Ukraine, where fighting with Russia has been ongoing for over a year, the UN recorded nearly 8,000 civilian deaths and over 12,500 injuries in 2022. Thank you, Melissa. Here on the Improve the News podcast, we like to separate the facts from the narrative spin. Melissa just laid out the facts of that story, so I'm going to start off our narrative spins with a pro-establishment narrative provided by UN News. The international community must step up its efforts to prevent conflict, protect civilians, and preserve peace by finding political solutions to war. Civilians have suffered the deadly effects of armed conflict for too long. This report is a call for action to break the deadly cycle of armed conflict and hunger. And there's an establishment critical narrative from The Guardian. While the U.N. Security Council promised to protect civilians in armed conflicts over two decades ago, most of its permanent members have played a part in aggravating civilian suffering, 
with some indiscriminately bombing hospitals, schools, and homes. Unfortunately, almost all permanent members continue to export arms to warring countries, aiding in war crimes and fueling the world's worst humanitarian crises. And from time to time, we get statistics-based nerd narratives provided by our friends at the Metaculous Prediction Community. They have an opinion on this story. They say there's a 22% chance that there will be a World War III before 2050. Hmm. World War, who's going to be the big uh, 2050? We got a we got a bit of a time to to plan that out. Oh sure. Who's going to be the big players in 2050? You think it's still going to be like the U.S. and China? Yeah, d- yeah. I mean, that'd be a good guess. It's not that far down the road, but it could be uh, robots versus aliens, which would be very exciting. For all we know, there could have been a, a whole civilian living on the dark side of the moon that we had no idea about. So it could be the moon versus the earth versus, you know, Ooh. that could be fun. Moon versus earth would be fun. And then moon be like, you you want your tides? No, we take back tides. Uh, okay. I I was going to ask what the moon had to leverage, but that is pretty they, they, powerful. They control mis- menstruation too. Isn't the moon like a- Oh, kind of, of course. Yeah. Talk about a talk about a leverage. Yeah, but that might make a bunch of angry human women on earth who want to fight. So it could work it could bite them in the butt. Yeah, they better they better think that through before they actually implement it. <laughs> Wanna help us improve the news? Go to www.improvethenews.org forward slash pod. Take a quick survey and tell us what you think. Now back to the news. Ron DeSantis plans to launch his presidential campaign on Twitter. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Wall Street Journal, BBC News, Fox News, and Guardian. Twitter CEO Elon Musk announced he will join Florida Governor Ron DeSantis virtually via Twitter spaces on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, when the governor is expected to launch his 2024 presidential election campaign. The Twitter Spaces event will be moderated by David Sachs, a close friend of Musk and a DeSantis supporter. However, the Tesla CEO said he isn't endorsing DeSantis, just using Twitter as a public town square. DeSantis, who leads all GOP contenders other than President Donald Trump in the polls, is also expected to file paperwork with the Federal Election Commission, or the FEC, to officially launch the campaign, as well as meet with top financial backers later this week in Miami. DeSantis won re-election by a landslide last year and has since implemented many right-wing policies regarding race, gender, concealed carry gun rights, and LGBTQ plus rights. The Twitter campaign launch comes as Musk has recently dipped his feet further into politics, including tweeting last year that he previously supported Democrats but would vote GOP in the 2022 midterms and potentially support DeSantis in 2024. Thank you, Adam. And as you may have guessed, we have two opposing political viewpoints on this. We'll start the spins with a Democratic narrative from the New York Times. DeSantis is a more confusing version of Trump, simultaneously signing harsh anti-abortion laws while also picking an unnecessary fight with Disney that could cost his state countless jobs. The rest of the GOP field is trying to bring decency back to the party. But unfortunately, the Republican base still enjoys the contentious strongman act over traditional politicians. And instead of a Republican narrative, we're going to follow this up with an anti-Trump narrative. And it's brought to us by Newsweek. The most important question to ask when running for president is, can you win the general election? And the answer is certainly in DeSantis' favor right now. 
Donald Trump may be leading in the primary polls, but only DeSantis has proven capable when it comes to defeating the incumbent Democrat in swing states, such as Arizona, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. The GOP needs a big comeback win in 2024, and DeSantis is the man for the job this time around. And here's a pro-Trump narrative from Revolver. After months of experts claiming Trump could only win the primary, the tide seems to be shifting. Trump will undoubtedly crush DeSantis in the primary, but recent polls suggest he could even beat Biden by four points in the general election. This is because voters understand that under Trump, the country was strong economically and from a security standpoint. We all know Biden is a warmonger, but the numbers also show Rust Belt voters are too unsure of DeSantis to give him their full support. And Melissa, we're going to wrap this story up with a nerd narrative from our friends at Metaculus that says there's a 25% chance that Ron DeSantis will become U.S. president by 2029. So they're giving him an extra term. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> what is, what's his percentage chance in 2024? Uh, yeah, not, but... Not good. <laughs> not good, but I does... But how many times in history has it shown that if someone went up for president, didn't quite make it, did they run again and were successful? I mean, there can't be that many instances. I think uh, Nixon is like one of the only ones I can think of that comes to mind, right? So, yeah, it could happen. Yes, it's a low percentage. Too. It's, po- yeah, it's possible, but, you know, he's young, at least. He's got that going yeah, for him. Yeah, he's a political baby. Isn't he? He's like 45. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in age only. That's what I meant. I think in mentality, too. <laughs> I'd go mentality. A new report finds that 50 million people are trapped in modern slavery. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, The Japan Times, Walk Free, France 24, Channel News Asia, and The Sydney Morning Herald. The Global Slavery Index 2023, released on Wednesday, reveals that in 2021, some 50 million people worldwide were living in conditions that qualify as modern slavery, an increase of 10 million over a five-year period. About 28 million of these people were affected by forced labor, and 22 million were living in forced marriages, the report issued by the human rights charity Walk Free said, pointing to a worsening situation due to armed conflicts, environmental degradation, and COVID. In addition to exploitative labor and forced marriages, modern slavery, according to the organization's definition, includes debt bondage, forced commercial sexual exploitation, human trafficking, slavery-like practices, and the sale and exploitation of children. North Korea, Eritrea, and Mauritania have the highest per capita prevalence of modern slavery, with Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Kuwait, and Russia also among the top 10 countries, according to the report. Two-thirds of all forced labor cases are related to global supply chains, the report added, with G20 countries currently importing $468 billion worth of at-risk commodities, ranging from electronics to solar panels, up from $354 billion in the previous report. Six G20 countries were found to be among those with the most people living in slave-like conditions including India, China, and the U.S., which the study claimed to be by far the largest importer of goods often produced under coercive conditions at $169.6 billion. Melissa, thank you. We have an establishment critical narrative to start off this round of spins provided by Financial Review. The current report is shameful proof that modern slavery isn't just a poor country issue but is also rampant in the world's richest economies. 
While consumers should shop responsibly, it's first and foremost up to governments, including the West, to stop paying lip service and finally put in place the necessary policies and laws to protect the most vulnerable people from forced labor. And here's the pro-establishment narrative from CNN. For all the justified criticism the index voices, it also notes that an increasing number of countries have introduced laws to combat modern slavery, forcing companies to audit their supply chains. In addition, 137 countries now criminalize human trafficking, and nearly 150 countries introduced action plans on modern slavery. There's still a lot of work to be done, but the international community is on the right track. There's also a narrative C on this story provided by The Age. The report proves that solar panels have become one of the commodities most at risk of modern slavery. While there's no doubt that the climate crisis must be addressed, the transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy must not proceed at the expense of human rights. In this case, the rights of those at the bottom of the global supply chains for green energy products. Policies that ignore this problem aren't sustainable and have no future. Wow. Did you you know that uh, solar panels have become a slave labor project? I did not, but I guess that makes sense. I mean, I know I... Not with solar panels, but thinking of lithium that's mined for batteries uh, for electric I wonder, cars. Yeah, I wonder that, if it's is it the actual like uh, the mineral that goes into making of the the solar yes the solar panel yeah kind of like like blood diamonds type thing right like they're they are you just abusing the land to to get the resources they need they're stripping the resources from one part of the planet to save the world right I don't know man <laughs> isn't that like uh isn't that like borrowing from Peter to pay Paul type it thing isn't that does seem that... a little bit like it when when you frame it that way it's uh... I, I don't think they point those those things out whenever they're coming out with solutions no it doesn't sell well that yeah, there's a reason I'm not in sales so the South Carolina Senate passes a six-week abortion ban and here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press. Reuters, The Hill, ABC News, and Forbes. On Tuesday, the Republican-majority South Carolina Senate approved a bill to ban most abortions after approximately six weeks of pregnancy, restoring a 2021 ban that went into effect after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. The early measure was ruled unconstitutional by the state Supreme Court. This revised bill includes exceptions in cases of rape, incest, and medical emergencies, but otherwise bans abortions, currently legal up to 22 weeks, after fetal cardiac activity is detected. The legislation passed the Senate in a vote of 27 to 19 after it was approved by 82 to 33 by the House last week. Republican Governor Henry McMaster, who signed the previous ban, is expected to sign the new bill into law. Doctors violating the law could face up to two years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Under the legislation, women under 16 must obtain permission from their parents or a judge to have an abortion, and fathers must pay child support from the date of conception. Well, on this very political story, we have two political narratives, and we'll start with a Democratic narrative from the New York Times. South Carolina has become an important provider of abortions since neighboring states have adopted extremely strict bans. Now, this bill, which is so extreme, it's even opposed by several Republicans, is going to make it near impossible to receive an abortion. The state Supreme Court should strike it down as it did in the similar ban in January. 
And this time, the Democratic narrative is followed up by a Republican narrative provided by Breitbart. It's time for South Carolina to stop being the abortion capital of the South. This bill brings the state in line with its neighbors in clamping down on the killing of unborn children. It also simultaneously contains the necessary exceptions to preserve the health and life of the mother, but has been rewritten just enough to get around any concerns over privacy rights. And we've got a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 5% chance that elective abortion will be banned nationally in the U.S. before 2030. Trump's hush money trial is set for March of 2024. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Fox News, The New York Times, The Washington Post, BBC News, and 538. Manhattan Judge Juan Merchant on Tuesday set a trial date of March 25th for the hush money criminal case against former President Trump, prompting the defendant to criticize the timing as election interference, as it aligns with pivotal Republican primaries. This comes a month after the former president pleaded not guilty to 34 charges of falsification of business records related to the $130,000 payment made by his then-lawyer Michael Cohen to Stormy Daniels. Prosecutors and Trump's legal team will exchange documents and evidence in the coming months, with August 29th being set for any new defense motions, including a motion to dismiss the case, and October 10th for prosecution responses. Motions will be ruled on January 4th. Judge Merchant also warned Trump and his team not to publicly disclose evidence that's not currently in the public domain out of concern that the information may be used for witness intimidation or to rally Trump's base. This case is one of several legal battles involving the former president. Earlier this month, Trump was found liable for the defamation and sexual assault of E. Jean Carroll. Trump was ordered to pay approximately $5 million. As of Wednesday, 538's national polling average for the 2024 GOP presidential primary shows that Trump is leading his closest competitor, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, by approximately 33 points. Thank you, Melissa. We're going to start off this round of spins with a Democratic narrative provided by New York Times. While it's not illegal to silence someone so as to protect your reputation and marriage, covering up the action by falsifying business records is a criminal offense. This case is a testament to the fact that no one is above the law, no matter how powerful they are. Alleged breaches of campaign finance law carried out by the Trump campaign also deserve to be taken seriously. And Breitbart again brings us a pro-Trump narrative. It's no coincidence that the scheduled date coincides with GOP primaries. Donald Trump is a victim of a Democratic witch hunt to suppress his influence and reclaim the presidency. Democrats have successfully weaponized the criminal justice system, which is now focused on political vengeance and punishing a political opponent instead of keeping Americans safe. And there's a nerd narrative that says there's a 50 percent chance that Donald Trump will be found guilty of any crime in the Manhattan case before Election Day 2024. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Ooh, so they they are they're not really sure. Usually the Metaculus has got it like, you know, a very good uh, swing either way, but uh Yeah. it's up in the air for them. Yeah, yeah, it could go either way. So they're projecting that possibly that they're going to have that case wrapped up 
the jury's going to come out with a verdict by the by the election. And do you think if he's found guilty, that is going to strengthen his base? What happens, though, if he's found guilty, doesn't he? He has to go to prison, right? And how can you be president? No, this it's get, it gets complicated, doesn't it? <laughs> but, you know, he's of course, he's going to come back. He's going to make a stink coming. Oh, up yeah. Stink is, stink is the That's, right word. <laughs> stink stink is, is definitely the right word. Open AI leaders call for regulation. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Washington Post, New York Times, and the News International. Co-founders of ChatGPT developer OpenAI, Greg Brockman and Ilya Sutskever, as well as CEO Sam Altman, have called for the regulation of superintelligent artificial intelligence, specifically pointing to the need for a global body like the International Atomic Energy Agency. In a statement posted to the company website, they said such a watchdog would need to inspect systems, require audits, test for compliance with safety standards, and place restrictions on degrees of deployment and levels of security. Following a Goldman Sachs estimate that AI could replace 300 million jobs, the letter added that it's conceivable that within the next 10 years, AI systems will exceed expert skill level in most domains and carry out as much productive activity as one of today's largest corporations. In the short term, they said there should be some degree of coordination between AI companies, though either a government-led project or collective agreement to ensure the technology integrates with society smoothly. This follows Altman's testimony about the dangers of AI before the U.S. Senate last week, during which he suggested governments should introduce licensing and testing requirements for the development of AI. The U.S., which hasn't passed a comprehensive tech law in years, has moved slowly on AI regulation compared to other countries, particularly in Europe. Leaders of the world's largest economies at the G7 summit on Saturday did make clear that a universal standard for AI development was a priority, though they offered no specifics. What a surprise. (laughs) Hey, we should do this. Someone know how? Anyone under 70? Right. (laughs) No? Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Adam, for those facts on the story, and we'll begin this round of spins with Narrative A from TechCrunch. While OpenAI's calls for regulation still remain quite vague, the fact that the world's leader in AI development is voicing such alarm is a positive sign. Altman and other AI developers certainly enjoy the power and profit that comes from their companies, but at the moment, they're on the side of good, and lawmakers should team up with them before actual bad actors get their hands on these robotic threats to humanity. And that's followed up with a narrative B provided by The Verge. AI executives like Sam Altman may seem like they're calling for ethical regulation of the industry, but in reality, they're playing sleight-of-hand games with politicians. The fact that the U.S. government is taking advice from OpenAI, whose top investor is Microsoft, shows regulatory capture is likely coming to the AI industry. Once this happens, You can forget about making competition and holding big tech accountable, as these Silicon Valley executives will have a monopoly on both the technology and those hired to regulate it. And there's a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community, this one saying there's a 50% chance there will be a positive transition to a world with radically smarter-than-human artificial intelligence. Turning our heads to the UK, where the inflation rate falls, but concerns remain. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, The Evening Standard, The Associated Press, BBC News, Reuters, and Zaya. The UK's Office for National Statistics has revealed that, as calculated by the Consumer Price Index, the rate of annual inflation fell to 8.7% in April. The level decreased by 1.4% from 10.1% and has largely been credited to the stabilization of energy prices. However, the rate remains higher than economists' predictions of 8.2% and the Bank of England's projections made two weeks ago. Despite inflation rates falling to levels last seen in March 2022, food prices are still up 19% year over year, which Chancellor Jeremy Hunt described as still too high. Hunt met with food manufacturers on Tuesday this week to discuss measures to lower food costs. The average annual grocery bill in the UK reportedly stood at 833 pounds or 1,035 US dollars more than a year ago, with the prices of wine, fresh cream, and pastries all soaring as people got into the spirit of King Charles III's coronation. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has promised to have inflation to approximately 5% by the end of the year, though the April numbers stand as the joint second-highest inflation rate in Western Europe, tied with Italy and 1.2% below Austria. The data comes a day after the International Monetary Fund reversed its previous opinion that the UK would enter a recession this year, estimating 0.4% growth in 2023. All right, Melissa, we're going to start off this round of spins with a narrative A provided by Telegraph. A fall in the inflation rate is long overdue and will be welcomed by consumers. As food prices come down, albeit slowly, the UK will do well to avoid new regulatory burdens and limit the cost of impact of new policies. What the government could do, however, is investigate whether the nation's largest grocers, as has been the case in the past, have artificially bumped up prices under the guise of the inflation crisis. And here's narrative B from the Evening Standard. While the inflation rate slowdown is a sigh of relief, the reality is that core inflation, which strips away volatile sectors from the calculation, still rose in April. With food prices continuing to soar, pressure is bound to mount on the Bank of England, as the UK still has a long way to go to lower inflation back to 2%. While the pain from interest rate hikes will continue, the bank has a vital role to play until it achieves normal rates again. And the nerds of Metaculus have an opinion. They think, again, that there's a 50% chance that the UK's annual inflation rate will be at least 6.83% by 2023. Still cannot get over. I've been thinking about it since those words came out of your mouth. 833 pounds a year is the average annual grocery bill. Uh, Just over $1,000. A year? I think they have shorter years in the UK. Are their years 30 days? (laughs) Yeah, I think they are, right? (laughs) In a recent report, nearly 2,000 children have been abused by the Catholic Church. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, New York Times, The Hill, Time, and BBC News. An investigation released Tuesday by the Illinois Attorney General's Office found that nearly 2,000 children were abused by 451 Catholic clergy members between 1950 and 2019 in the state, more than previously reported. This adds 149 previously unknown abusers to the list of perpetrators, most of whom belong to religious orders independent of dioceses. 
Before the investigation was launched in 2018, Catholic dioceses had only disclosed 103 abusers in the state. Attorney General Kwame Raoul stated it is his hope that the report will provide public accounting for survivors of abuse. The report faults all six Illinois dioceses for covering up abuse, undercounting the number of abusers, and failing to support survivors. It also recommends that the diocese hire a firm to investigate allegations and establish an independent program for victim mediation and compensation. A substantial portion of the report is devoted to individual cases, such as that of Daniel McCormick, who pleaded guilty to abusing five boys in 2007, and whom the report describes as, quote, one of the most infamous child abusers anywhere in Illinois. Cardinal Blaise J. Cuppich, Archbishop of Chicago, apologized to the victims of abuse, while stating that it is not, quote, fair or wise to single out the Catholic Church. Rooting out abuse in the church, the cardinal says, is something he is personally committed to. Those were the facts on that disturbing story. Thank you, Adam. And we'll start this round of spins with a narrative A from The Guardian. Thousands upon thousands of new victims of abuse come forward every year, first victimized by a depraved priest and then again by an institution determined to protect abusers. The Catholic Church is in dire need of transformation to root out abusive priests and those who covered for them. The faithful are forced to grapple with the immense scale and scope of abuse. And also a narrative B provided by Catholic League. The Church stands with the victims of sexual violence and has devoted substantial efforts to rectify what has been done. Despite the progress already made, the media hounds one of the few institutions that treat child sexual abuse with such concern. Schools, sports teams, and other well-respected establishments are hotbeds for abuse, with no statistical evidence to support a singling out of the Catholic Church among other institutions. In a new report, recycling plastic can increase toxicity. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, The Daily Mail, The International Pollutants Elimination Network, Greenpeace, and Newsweek. According to a Greenpeace report published on Wednesday, recycling actually increases the toxicity of plastics and should not be considered a solution to the pollution crisis. The report finds plastics often contain higher levels of toxic chemicals including carcinogens and endocrine disruptors, among others, which can be transferred into the recycled product. The report cites peer-reviewed research, international studies, and UN environmental program data, which shows 3,200 of the more than 13,000 chemicals contained in plastics are hazardous to human health. The paper suggests that plastic poisons the circular economy and our bodies and pollutes air, water, and food. Because fewer than 10% of plastics ever produced reach recycling facilities, Greenpeace argues it will be impossible to end plastic pollution and eliminate the health threats from chemicals in plastics without reducing plastic production. The report comes as the UN will soon convene the second round of talks towards researching a global plastics treaty in Paris from May 29th to June 2nd. Last year, during a U.N. Environment Assembly meeting in Nairobi, representatives from 175 countries agreed to create the first legally binding international treaty on plastics. Thanks for the facts, Melissa. We're going to start off our first spin with a narrative A provided by Wired. 
The plastics industry will continue to put forward plastic recycling and recycled content as the best way to resolve the global plastic crisis, distracting attention from the need to reduce overall plastic production and shifting the burden of dealing with plastic waste onto the consumers. The only real solution to ending plastic pollution is to first cap and later end plastic production. The world needs the UN's Plastics Treaty. Here's Narrative B by Cancer Research UK. No evidence suggests ingesting plastic particles poses a real public health risk. Instead of denying people access to clean drinking water, safe food supplies, medical and personal care products, disrupting global supply chains, or substituting plastics with materials with a much higher carbon footprint in critical applications, the global community must conduct more research to establish if plastics are a threat or if the benefits greatly outweigh the costs. I did a humble brag, get my first shampoo bar. Plastic free. Yeah. It's like a bar of soap, but you just rub it into your head. Oh, and it very smells delightful good. and it nice. works really well. Good for you. Good for you. You know, you, you know what I did to, yeah. to fix that solution? What's that? I just lost my hair. Oh, maybe <laughs> I'll give that a try. Yeah. So you get a cut <laughs> you cut out all your shampoo, your conditioner. You don't need any of that stuff anymore. Just go bald. I think I'll do that. I don't have to dye my hair anymore or style it or pay for it to get cut. That, that cut out so much plastic right that there. That would cut out a lot of plastic. Let's all go bald. Let's let's start a, a revolution. Baldness for the environment. We'll call it something like that. Speaking of amazing hair, rock icon Tina Turner has passed away. Here are the facts as agreed upon by New York Times, CNN, Washington Post, Fox News, and Reuters. Legendary singer Tina Turner passed away at 83 on Wednesday at her home in Kuesnick, Switzerland, according to her publicist Bernard Doherty. Though he didn't provide the cause, she had faced a number of health issues in recent years, including a stroke and kidney disease. Turner was born Anna Mae Bullock in 1939 to sharecroppers near Nutbush, Tennessee, where she said she, quote, had food on the table, but no fancy things. After her grandmother died in 1950, she and her sister Ruby moved to St. Louis, Missouri to live with her mother. It was there that she began her career, performing with the band Kings of Rhythm whose leader, Ike Turner, she later married. The band had a few hits, most notably A Fool in Love, which reached number 27 on the Billboard Hot 100 pop charts, though they never reached national fame. Turner was only 17 when she met Ike, eventually leaving him in 1976 and later claiming in a 1981 People magazine article that her marriage was abusive. Alongside her musical hits such as Better Be Good to Me and What's Love Got to Do With It, she was also known for her acting roles as Acid Queen in Ken Russell's film version of Tommy and Anti-Entity in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. She is survived by her long-term romantic partner, Erwin Bach, who she said she met in 1985 before moving to London to begin her residency in Europe, as well as two sons of Ike Turner, who she had adopted. Thanks for those facts, Adam. And Nikki Swift brings us Narrative A. While the world mourns the death of this truly exceptional American icon, we shouldn't forget the struggle she went through to reach and maintain stardom. Turner is a prime example of what celebrities often face behind the scenes. She was taken advantage of and pushed to perform whether she was physically up to the task or not. Her life was a tragedy, and that fact shouldn't be brushed aside. 
And our final narrative B is provided by Oxygen. Although her struggles shouldn't be dismissed, they also shouldn't be allowed to overshadow her incredible talent. Tina Turner should be remembered as an icon on and off the stage, selling hundreds of millions of albums, starring in famous movies, and inspiring women through her feminism. It's time the public finally closes the chapter on her tragic past and commemorates her inspiring attributes. Melissa, they left off one of my favorites, Proud Mary. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic version. Ain't nothing going to get you get up and dance like Proud Mary. Get up. Oh, Sorry, I got I got, I got, I got stuck I'm dancing a, right a, now. A... Can't keep your feet still on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, May 25th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all the articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download our apps on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. 